Last week, we began this mini-series, uh, Diving into the Love of God. It was weeks ago, almost over a month ago, when I began studying Ephesians chapter 3, and I came across chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul prays that his church, that the church in Ephesus would know the height and the depth and the length and the width of God's love. I feel as though uh, like, a, like a cave or a spelunker, someone who explores caves, and you, you find these places where it gets tighter and tighter and you find this tiny little crack and you crawl through it, hands and knees, barely squeezing through and then it opens up into this huge cathedral. I feel like this is how this, these words of Paul strike me in Ephesians. That we would know the love of God. And as we crawled our way through this, we opened up into this huge room. And so for this week and two more weeks after this, we'll be talking about God's love. Now last week I talked about how much God loves us. We heard from the prophets that God spoke through them. He said over and over again, I love you. Using words, I betrothed you to me forever. Return to your God because he is compassionate, filled with mercy and steadfast love. We heard these words about God and about his love for us and it's so encouraging, it's good. But there's also a shadow side to this. There's another side to this coin. We hear these words and and our lives aren't quite working out the way they're supposed to. Maybe we're in the middle of crises. Something horrible is happening. And we hear these words about God's love and it seems to ring hollow for us. Or maybe there's nothing really big happening and just life is going on and yet we are in this dry season. We hear of God's love and it just doesn't seem to be true for us. We struggle with this. So to hear a sermon again about how much God loves us and how much He wants us to be in a relationship with Him in a strange way can actually be discouraging for some people because life isn't working out. I knew last week as I preached about God's love, as we talked about how much God loves us and desires a relationship for us or with us, I knew this week would come too when we have to talk about the truth. The other side of the truth is sometimes it's hard to relate to God. Sometimes, no matter how much we try to draw close, no matter how much we read or pray, God just seems distant still. To tell the truth, sometimes it is hard to relate to God. It's hard to get too close to God. I think part of it is because we are physical people. I think about my sons, and I love to tell them how much I love them and hear from them, but there's just something about holding them, about scooping them up in my arms, and holding them. It's hard to do that with God. The only people who could have done that were 2,000 years ago when Christ walked the earth. So because we are physical people and God is not physical, God, His body is different, it's hard for us to get a hold of it. We struggle. We struggle to get hold of God. It's complicated for us. I think part of the problem, though, comes from us as a church. Not just us church, but the church. The church around the world. Because as people, we want the church to help fix our problems. And as pastors, man, we want to fix your problems. And so sometimes, as the church becomes becomes less of a shepherd and more of a salesman talking with you about how good things are going to be one day. How good it will be. And, And it's true, this is the gospel, this is the good news. There's truth in it. But sometimes we talk about it so much, so much that people can get the idea that we are entitled to God's presence. 
that we somehow have a claim on God. And then we become disillusioned when it doesn't work out the way that the pastor said it was supposed to. That life isn't easy for us. In fact, we seem, seem like we live more of the words of Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. The following Christ comes with sacrifice and difficulty. You see, it's hard for us to put it all together. And we start to wonder, am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Because Christ has come. We all have had crises in our lives. Crises come. And our faith is rocked to the very foundation. Where is God when it hurts so bad? When our families are going wrong. When our marriage is struggling. When our parents are in hospital, nearing death. And we pray and we pray and we say, God, where are you? What about those times when we just live our life? Going through life, busy with stuff, with work and family. And and at times we do come to God, it seems dry. Like our prayers are lead. And the words that we read are like dry dust. We struggle with it. And begin to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Where does this God begin to affect my life? Where does God begin to reach and change my life? And so we become tempted. We become tempted to settle. We hear this voice in the back of our head that maybe this is as good as it gets. And so we sit down in the middle of the race. We just sit down. And we struggle. Or worse, sometimes people leave the faith altogether. You know, I tried that for a while. I tried the whole church thing. It just didn't take for me. My life didn't change. And it's interesting, I think about it as, as a church, and especially as a pastor, how sometimes I'm, I'm, I wonder if I'm helping in these ways. This last week I went to Jubilee Manor and visited some of our people there. And as I walk around, there are people there whose, whose minds are broken. They just stare off into space. And I think about this gospel for them, this good news for them. I believe, it, I believe that it pertains to them, that it has meaning for them. But I don't quite understand how. You know, we talk about life and the fullness of life. This is probably how they will be until they die. Or what about people who have, so their minds are fine, but their bodies are broken. They're confined to a wheelchair or to a bed. And we talk about God and His grace and this amazing life with Him. And they are confined to this tiny little dorm-sized room. With maybe just a few pictures hanging. Nothing like the house, the family where they used to live. But I believe the gospel still applies to them. But it's hard for us to work out. You see, and I think that we, even though we aren't in Jubilee Manor, sometimes we have these same disabilities. They look different for us, but they're still hard for us to overcome. And so pastors get up and they preach about good news, about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And it can feel like preaching recipes to the starving. Talking about ingredients and all these, fa- these fabulous things that go into the food to people who are starving. Who take anything 
anything. But I want to encourage you. This longing that we have for God. This deep longing, even though it goes unsatisfied, even though it gnaws at us. This longing is hopeful. That we long to be connected with God is hopeful. It means God's Spirit is still in us. Even though that we are struggling, this longing we have is proof that God's Spirit is in us and we are in a good place. We are in a hopeful place. We struggle to draw close to God. We struggle to relate to Him. I want to encourage you that all Christians go through this. Eventually, if we are Christian long enough, we will go through dry seasons. So if you are in this place, or if you've been in this place, or when it comes again, be encouraged because this is a normal part of our faith. Not that we are meant to live here. We're meant to move through it. But this happens in faith. I think this happens partly because of who God is. Because God is beyond our understanding. God is beyond our mind. He is unfathomable. But also because of God's character, because of who He is. And sometimes, in our, the moments when we feel close to God, we begin to, I think we lose sight of just who it is we're talking about. We lose sight of the idea, or the reality that God is untamable. God is wild. Not in the reckless sense or the malicious sense, but in the sovereign sense. That we can't control God. We can't make God to show up when we want to. We can't get, to, get God to cooperate with our tiny little plans. We can pray and we can ask God for His guidance and for His blessing. And sometimes He does, but out of His sovereignty, sometimes He does not. You see, we want God to be, I think sometimes we want Him to be more like a house cat. Predictable. Except for your cat. <laughs> we want Him to be, we can, He can sit on our lap and we can pet Him. We can put Him down when we want to or we can pick Him up when we want to. God is not a house cat. He is the great lion. The great lion of Judah who is beyond our control. Who is wild. Who is good, but He is not tame. God is sovereign. And He will do what He will do. Even when it doesn't fit with our plans of what we think God should do. But God is also unfathomable. Sometimes He's beyond what we can fathom. Beyond what we can imagine. In theology, they use words like omnipresence and omnipotent. These words mean that God is all-powerful. God is present everywhere. God knows everything. And we have a trouble even understanding what that means. That is beyond us to even understand. Frederick Buechner, a writer and a poet, said, what, what is it in us to make us think that if God were to reveal Himself, that it wouldn't kill us? If God were to fully reveal Himself, who He is and everything about Him, it would kill us. That's why He has Moses stand in the crack of the rock. When Moses asked God, show me your glory, He has him stand in the crack. Because you can see the back of me as I pass by. Because it would be too much for you to see my face. 
God is beyond our comprehension, and sometimes we take that for granted. God is beyond us. I think part of it, too, is us learning to relish this mystery. To relish the mystery of God. That God is beyond our understanding, that we don't have to have all the answers about Him. You see, that's the hard thing for us in our time. We live in a time that thrives on explanations. We don't know what something is, we go and we Google it. We find out what it is. Scientists don't know how something works, they go and they study it until they find it out. I hear so often people who don't like surprises because they don't want to be surprised. They don't want to be out of control. They want to know the answers before they ask the questions. They want to know the outcome before they begin the journey. But we are a people of faith. Less than certainty, we are a people of trust. Trust by nature doesn't have the answers. It doesn't have certainty. But this is what we are called to, to be a people of trust. I was watching this cartoon with Corbin. It's called Horton Hears a Who. It's great the theology you can pick up in cartoons. Horton is this elephant who hears a cry for help on a speck of dust. And so he's protecting this speck of dust. And as he's moving through the forest, he runs into this kangaroo. This bitter old kangaroo lady. And she says, Horton, what are you doing? He says, I'm protecting my speck. There's someone on here. Maybe whole worlds that I need to keep safe. She says, Horton, that's ridiculous. If you can't see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, or smell it, it doesn't exist. This is the ethos of our time. It's one of the, the downfalls or one of the side effects of science. Don't get me wrong, science has its good place. I believe God wants us to know about this world, but this is one of the side effects. It's a very scientific way of looking at things. If you can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. Or it might as well not exist. But God lies beyond our proof. I know of people who tell me, I, I can't believe in this God because you can't prove it to me. Which is ironic to me because you can't prove that He doesn't exist either. It's just a matter of their choice. They'd probably rather He didn't exist. So we live in this world that needs answers, that wants certainty, that hates to trust, that hates to take risks. But we are called to risk with God. To love Him even though we don't understand. And some of us might be thinking like, this is a steep order, this is a tall bill. To love a God that we don't understand? How many of you love someone? Anyone? Maybe a child, maybe your spouse. Do you completely understand this? I better not see any husbands shaking their head yes. I love my wife, Tracy. But I can tell you, I do not fully understand her. (laughs) And if I love her the rest of my life, which I plan to, I know that I still won't completely understand her. She is beyond that. She's a complicated and lovely woman. But I still love her. Even though I don't completely understand her, I still love her. Even though we don't completely understand God, we still love Him. We still trust Him. It is hard for us to relate to God. Sometimes it is hard for us and we find these long seasons like God is distant. 
Maybe it's partly because of who God is. Because He is sovereign, He won't play by our rules. He won't fit in the little paradigms that we have for Him. Or maybe it's because God is so great, so beyond our understanding, that we have trouble even connecting. But we can still relish the mystery. We can still dive into the mystery of who God is and love Him even though we don't understand it. This this relationship has two sides. Maybe it's God and maybe it's us. Maybe we're part of the problem. Maybe we're part of the reason why we can't connect with God or find God distant. Maybe it's because of the barriers that we put up. The barriers that we put between us and God. It's a strange thing. In our human nature, we desire this closeness, this intimacy with God, and at the same time we hide from Him. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve desired a relationship with God, and then because of their sin, because of their brokenness, they hide. They hide from Him, and we have been hiding ever since. Sometimes we as people, we struggle with faith. In 1 Corinthians, faith is one of the gifts that Paul lists. It's a gift from God. And I believe that some people are gifted with more faith, with this childlike faith that is a blessing to them. They just believe. There are people I know, and sometimes they make me crazy. They just get it. I wish I were more like them. They just get it. They don't have deep questions, or if they do, they don't seem to bother them. They just believe, and they smile through their days. But some people have harder time with faith. For some people, the questions outweigh the faith. And yet they still believe the best that they can. I want to encourage you. If you're one of these people who have questions that seem to outweigh your faith, but you still have this faith, I want to encourage you. It's still faith. That God still cherishes you. And He has given you enough faith to believe in Him. Questions and doubts. We don't need to be afraid of these. I believe all truth is God's truth. Questions and doubts, they happen. We don't have to be afraid. But I think part of it, too, is that we set up barriers between us and God. Sometimes unwittingly, sometimes we know, and we still do it anyway. Barriers like sin. Things that we do against God's will. Things that we do that we know that are wrong, that are hurtful to Him and hurtful to others, and yet we still do them. These things keep us away because of our pride. Because we don't want to change. We don't want God to tell us how to live. We want to live our own way. Pride keeps us from God. But so does shame. We do these things and we are ashamed and so we avoid God. We go deeper into hiding. Sin separates us. So does idolatry. The idols that we put in place of God. Even the experience of God that becomes an idol. We become so focused on experiencing God moment by moment that we don't even seek God anymore. We want more moving music. We want the music to be great and to move us each week. Or we, our beauty becomes our idol. We become fascinated with creation or a person. And we focus on them, trying to get this feeling out of them that we, that we need from God. We focus on the creatures rather than the Creator. God has given us, I believe God has given us this holy discontent. 
that no matter how fulfilling things may be, they will always leave us just a little bit empty. That we crave just a little bit more. And I believe that craving is in us on purpose. Because we are meant for God. We are meant to crave the living God. To crave Him through our whole life. And that even when we draw close to Him, it still doesn't quite feel enough because we are meant to to draw closer to Him even still. To pursue Him our whole life. Imagine what it would be like if we could just have that moment of, Oh God, thank you. I feel content now. I'll see you when I die. God wants us to pursue Him all the time. He wants us to pursue Him all the time. So our idols become barriers. But then so does our busyness. We get busy with our lives. Maybe it's out of ambition because we just, we just seem to want to win, to achieve more, to get more and more done. Or maybe it's because of greed. Maybe because we're trying to get more and more for ourselves. Or maybe, and I think this is probably the most prevalent, because of fear. We're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid of what will occur in our hearts if we slow down long enough to listen. I have this image of skipping stones across the water. If you skip them, if you spin them and throw them fast enough, they'll skim right along the surface, traveling along the water. It's not until they slow down they begin to sink down to the depth. And so we stay busy, spinning and skipping to stay along the surface, fearing that if we slow down, we will sink into the depth. The depth of our heart, the questions that we have here, the wounds that we have here. And so we stay busy. Our heart is deep water. And by staying busy, we, put, we make the water rough and it looks like it's about that deep. It's not until that we're still, that we're quiet long enough that the water flattens and we'll be able to see into the deepest parts. And we meet God there in the depths. C.S. Lewis, he said, there's no way to guarantee or to make God show up in your life, but there is one way to guarantee that He won't. Stay busy. Stay distracted. Occupy yourself with menial tasks. Focus on things like money and achievement and sex. Keep yourself busy. Don't read good books. Actually, read the newspaper. And if you're going to read anything at all, read the ads. The stuff that will make you want to buy something to make you more powerful and more important. This is how you're guaranteed not to meet God. So these are the barriers, this busyness, the idols and the sin, but also the fact that we have so much. This too can be a barrier. We, as a people, us, us here in this church, most of us have enough that we can take God for granted. We have the luxury of taking God for granted. I talk with friends, Christian friends, and they say, you know, I could live my life without recognizing God. And if I'm honest, sometimes I go days or weeks when I don't even pray. And it doesn't matter. At least not in the the outside of my life. My job just keeps ticking away. My bills get paid. still go on vacations. You see, we have so much that sometimes we miss the simple things that God does. 
The beautiful things that God does, like a sunset or a sunrise. God moving like, like a breeze through the, through the leaves of trees. The smile of a child. We take these for granted because we have so much. But we want this connection with God, and so we start to ask, God, what have you done for me lately? We become so enamored with our stuff, so, uh, so busy with the things that we have that we take God for granted. And our life begins to stop asking the question, God, how can I show my gratitude to you? How can I love you back? And we start, our life becomes defined by this question, God, what have you done for me lately? How have you topped yourself to woo me again? How have you done more this time to win my love for you? We've duped ourselves into thinking that our relationship with God is meant to be every day like a honeymoon. Never growing into mature love. Love that exists and lasts long after the honeymoon is over. We become a people who want honeymoon every day. These are the barriers that separate us from God. These are the things that put distance between God and us. Probably one of the worst things or one of the most difficult things is when we close our heart. When we close our heart to God because of the wounds of our life, because of the things that have happened to us and said, you know what, it's not worth the risk anymore. Sure, I'm going to miss out on some joy and some deep and some happy things, but it's not worth the risk of the pain. So I'll close my heart. I'll protect my heart. I'll guard it. I'll lock it away where it will never be hurt again. I think as guys, we struggle with this probably more than, than women, just generally speaking. I think we all wrestle with this, but, but guys maybe especially more. Because we're growing, we're growing or we're raised to say, like, your heart, don't listen to your feelings. Your feelings just get in the way. Don't, don't listen to your heart. Try to stuff it away somewhere. So you can live out of your head and your reason and your ration. And so we struggle to connect with God at a heart level. You know, it's common to see women in churches while their husbands go away and do other things. I think women, just generally speaking, are more intuitive. Their hearts are more a part of their lives. They, they feel their emotions more. Or at least know how to deal with them more. If we will close our heart, it is hard for us to draw close to God. Especially if we've shut our heart down, if we've vaulted it away to protect it. These things may separate us from God. They put barriers between us and God. But the good news is we serve a God, we believe of a God, we love a God of the desert. A God who is present in the desert. When things are dry and water is a long way off. We love a God of the desert. He led his people through the desert. In the Exodus. The thing is, God led his people into the desert. He didn't stumble with them by accident into the desert. He led them into the desert. And even after he was present with them as a cloud of smoke or a cloud of fire by night, when he would open the sea and have them walk by on dry, on dry ground, and when he provided bread from heaven and water from the rock of Meribah, the people still complained, God, have you brought us out to this desert to die? God was right there with them. How I crave that sense. 
How I crave that presence, to see God every day as a pillar of, of smoke. And yet they still said, God, have you brought us out here to die? God leads us out into the desert on purpose. And the good news is that He is present there. He didn't just lead them out and say, I hope you find your way. He led them out and He remained with them. God has remained with us even in Christ. He didn't just send us off in this world and say, I hope you figure it out. He came and was God with us. He came and dwelt among us again. God is present with us. And the end of Matthew's Gospel, when he gives this great commandment, excuse me, this great commission, says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And truly, I will be with you until the very end of the age. I will be with you. God is present with us, especially in the desert. Especially in the dry times when he seems like he is distant. God leads us into the desert and He leads us there on purpose. He leads us into these places on purpose to strip away the easy gods that we want to bring around ourselves. To strip away the easy God of comfort. This God that we believe this God wants us to be, everything to be okay for us, everything to work out just fine for us. And he's more that he'd bend over backwards, set his plans aside just so that we wouldn't have any pain in life. This is the God that we want. He leads us out in the desert to show us otherwise. That he has more important things for us. God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. About the people that we will become than in the things that we enjoy. God is leading us out into the desert to strip us of our easy God. Thomas Merton said, if you find God easy, maybe it's not God that you've found. God leads us out into the, into the wilderness to strip us of our easy God. But also to get our attention. We live in this world where our attention is scattered in a hundred different directions. Television, email, telephone, iPads, and text messages. People wanting our attention, information from everywhere. And I think about some of you who've had teenagers. How difficult it is to talk with them when they're texting on their phone or maybe before that, when they were talking with their friends or in sports or activities. I think God takes us out into the wilderness much like a father would take his son or his daughter out into the wilderness where they couldn't use their phone, where they couldn't connect with their friends and all they had was their father or their mother their attention. I don't have teenagers yet, but I can imagine how much they wouldn't like that. How much they would hate that. Disconnected from everything. And it might not be years later until they say, Dad, I'm glad that we did that. Remember those times when we used to go out in the woods and the mosquitoes were bad and they couldn't talk to anybody except for you? I actually love those times now. I believe God does that with us to get our attention. To strip away all the things that we thought were important. To get our attention. But God also brings us out into the desert to grow us. To grow us in faith. Like a child. You don't want a child that will always climb onto you. Right now my son Shalem, he's 10 months old and he always wants me to hold him. 
Now, right now, it's okay because he's small. But as he gets older, he's going to have to learn to be his own person. The last thing I want is my 30-year-old son having to carry him around. We want to develop. We want to encourage or to grow mature kids. I believe God wants to do the same thing in us. To grow us up to be mature. To take steps on our own, knowing that He is right there with us. But I believe that God is also growing us in hope. He's growing us in faith, but He's also growing us in hope. Reminding us, not just of what He's done in the past, remembering that God is a God with His people. That God came as Jesus Christ and saved us. That God has done things even in our own lives, come through in amazing ways. And even though it feels distant right now, God is still the God of the future, God of hope. That one day He will come again. The desert stirs hope in us. Remembering the past and the future. That we might walk through the present. And God is this God of love. He grows love in the desert. Love that, that is rested on trust. That trusts God. And love that is true. Not just love, God, I love you because you bless me. God, I love you for what you do for me. But God, I love you because of who you are. I will praise your name regardless of what's happening. I know that this morning is hard to hear. Some of you have come through hard weeks and you're just coming like, Jesus, please just have the pastor give us a word of of encouragement. Tell us how good things are going to be. But I think even this message can be refreshing. This message, in another way, can be good news. It's okay to set down these burdens that you have. It's okay to set down the things that have kept you from God. It's okay to come to Christ, to come to Him and say, God, I am weary. I am tired of carrying this stuff around. Because God loves you. He desires a relationship with you. And even when it's hard, He is present. He is present with you. Let me read Psalm 13 again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing. Even when it doesn't make sense to sing, I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. In a moment, we're going to sing this song, Blessed Be Your Name. Listen to the words. Begins, Lord, blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. But then the next thing it says, blessed be your name in the desert place, when the world's not as it should be. Blessed be your name. When things are amazingly good, I will praise your name, God. When things are horrible and I am in the middle of the desert, I will praise your name. Friends, have hope. If you are struggling, or when that time comes again, have hope God is present with you. And He loves you. Amen.